Hi, this is John Ryan with Team Handball News. Joining me on the line are Joey Williams and Ryan Peterson. How are you guys doing today? Doing well, John. Thanks for having us. Doing fantastic. Doing fantastic. You you might have to tell the brother to get off the Xbox (laughs) so he doesn't kill the bandwidth there, Joey. Uh Uh-oh, am I coming in very robotic? No, no, you're good now. It just broke out just a little bit there. Um, Anyway, thanks for joining me, guys. Today we're going to talk. We're going to start out talking about your guys' new tournament concept. And we're going to use that, I think, as a a segue to discuss uh, competition handball in the U.S. in general. So I'll tell you what. Why don't you guys uh, fill me in? on the Great Lakes Challenge Cup. Cool. Uh, So this was an idea that Joey and I have been uh, kicking around for a little while now. Um, You know, we're both based in the Midwest, and we, while we see there's a lot of growth within the Midwest and around the country, we wanted to introduce a new competitive concept that um, would not only offer more competitive handball games, um, but bring more attention to the sport of handball, especially in the Midwest region. And so what we're trying to do basically is adapt, um, you know, the the nationwide season-long tournaments that you see in Europe, both in soccer, handball, and just about any other sport, um, like the FA Cup, the Copa del Rey, where you have teams of different skill levels and within different divisions uh, competing in one bracket-style tournament uh, where you eventually crown one uh, tournament winner. Um, and so we're trying to adapt that to the Great Lakes region, uh, so any any states or pro- Canadian province touching the Great Lakes are eligible to compete within this tournament. Uh, we're envisioning a double elimination tournament uh, culminating in the final four events where three regional winners, the uh, West, Central, and East, uh, will come together in the final four along with the tournament host, whichever uh, club has stepped up to host that final four event uh, each year in April. Um, we're hoping to tie it into the competitive schedule of the USATH as well and utilize those resources. Um, we also have some really fun events that were and fun, you know, um, things that we're trying to tie into this tournament as well um, that we haven't really seen before in American handball, but we see elsewhere in other American sports like uh, fantasy handball, uh, handball pick'em, uh, like bracket pick'em, like you see in March Madness. We want to have some really great staffs as well, and we also want to bring in um, some more uh, referee training as well and any youth clinics as well as, um, that we can get into this tournament as well. And you know, I want to throw it over to Joey and see if he has anything else he wants to say. Yeah. Ryan, you pretty much hit all the big points um, that we're kind of envisioning for this this tournament. And essentially, just to sum it, up to, to one sentence. We, we, we just want it to be a big time uh, tournament for people. We want to, I mean, not necessarily a professional, you know, league or, or even a professional tournament, but we want people to quality um, production and um, we want it to feel more like a, like you're really playing a sport because I, I mean, I, I'm sure I speak for a lot of handball players in the U S but uh, there are certainly times where you're, you know, you're a self-proclaimed handball player, but it doesn't necessarily really feel like you're even an athlete. You just kind of are a, a weekend warrior. So we want to kind of t- take the next step in the evolution from the, the current format that's available in the U.S. and uh, just build upon that. Well, well cool. Um, 
I've got some nuts and bolts questions first. Um, when you when you talk about tournament, what we're basically talking about is, well, first off, not like the weekend tournament that we typically have for handball in the U.S. You're talking more of like a a, a cup tournament with uh, with the clubs uh, playing in a format knockout tournament till there's one left, right? That is correct. So we envision the first round uh, being drawn in September and then um, a champion being crowned in April. And you have different rounds with um, different deadlines when you need to play the games. Um, and then we just continue to do more draws and continue to compete until we finally have that winner. Is the uh, is there are the rounds uh, a, a two game aggregate series? That is correct. So uh, a home and away match. Yes. Okay. Um, and you talked about it being double elimination, which is a little bit different because most of these tourneys, uh, these cup tourneys in Europe are uh, single elimination. How would the double elimination work? So the double elimination would have a consolation bracket. So if you um, if you lose in any of the rounds, you're just put into the consolation bracket, and then the consolation um, bracket participants are competing for you know fifth place and back, basically. Oh, okay. All right. So uh, single elimination with uh, consolation possibilities. That is correct. Yes. Okay. It's not like you can play your way back into the final no you cannot okay um, but the fifth place trophy is going to be fantastic let me let me tell you that it's going <laughs> to be worth playing for so um if you if you're doing a home and away uh you know that's a little bit different than a lot of uh way handball works in the u.s right now you would envision well let's let's take uh Let's take your region, Ryan, the, and the teams that would be in that region, mm -hmm. and, and let's just kind of work it through how the the opening rounds would work. Sure. Um, so in the West region, we have um, Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Indiana. Um, different varieties of activity on you know different of different teams, but basically you have um, Concordia. You have uh, Minnesota, you have Milwaukee United, and you have Chicago Inner, and then also Illinois State as well. I'm not sure of um, their current status, but so basically you have four or five teams that would most likely participate. So um, let's say Chicago is drawn with um, Minnesota, and then Milwaukee is drawn with Concordia. So you would have wow. Minnesota coming wow. down. So you would have Minnesota coming down to Chicago. Um, for for one game and then Chicago going to Minneapolis for one game. Um, and so I realize this isn't ideal for participation because it does require a fair amount of travel, but it can be piggybacked on other tournaments that you're already traveling for, such as the Midwest Team Handball League, um, you know, Chicago's home tournaments or Minnesota's. So, or you could just have a standalone, um, you know, weekend where you just designate as the Challenge Cup travel to Minneapolis and then maybe the next Chicago um, they would travel to Chicago as well so would you let then like let's say uh, Chicago is hosting the Michael Lipov uh, Cup and 
uh, Minnesota was coming down to play in that. If they played a pool play match, would you let that match stand for, uh, you know, also uh, be part of the uh, Great Lakes Cup? Yes. And so if both teams agree to that, we would allow that. And as long as it um, fell within our um, regulations for a regulation game, yes, we would allow that. And, and what's what's the regulation game requirement? Um, we're still working through that, so we don't have quite the um, hammer down details yet, but um, it would be very similar to a USATH match. John, that's our secret sauce. We can't go and uh, give it away at this point. <laughs> well, you, you you could run into an issue where, uh, you know, the Chicago tournament, they don't want to play a full two by 30 match and because it's part of a, a long weekend tournament. So if you did play a shorter match, I guess logically you would have to play a shorter match uh, in the return leg in Minnesota. Right. And that's something we still need to work out as well. Um, you know, that's some of the details as well. Um, but if the teams aren't able to actually, you know, schedule and um, actually make time for a match, we would revert back to the last games that the teams have played. And so in that case, that would act as a if yeah. they didn't get those two games to play against each other. Yeah, because I do know that, you know, some cups in Europe, it's just uh, one match off. <laughs> I remember uh, uh, the French, the French uh, basketball clubs have a, uh, a, a one game. They don't play aggregate. And I was just playing a game in some little town, and they had, like, all these big, huge pictures of, uh, <laughs> you know, of, uh, uh, Oh, I can't remember the big the big club having to come to their tiny gym <laughs> and play a match, you know, for the <laughs> French Cup, um, and, and what a big thing it was for them. And then and then also, I think they also gave the the tinier town the advantage of hosting in most cases. Some places it's you know luck of the draw. Um, some they like to put it in the bigger clubs so they get uh, a bigger attendance. Um, mm -hmm. what, what about just playing a, a one-off match for scheduling purposes? Could the two teams agree to do that? Yeah, I, I think there will have to be provisions as we move through the tournament um, just to accommodate the travel and that. But the, the purpose of having the home and away is creating that buzz around these really competitive games that we hope will be, you know, you know, weeknights or excuse me, weekend or weekend nights. They are attended by a fair amount of people in a really cool venue, and they draw, um, you know, really good crowds because they are these competitive within this competitive tournament. Yeah. Well, it, it, and then you guys talking about having a final four once you have these other rounds. And, and Joey, you guys were looking at hosting that in Detroit. Yes. Oh, yes. And Boston, USA. <laughs> and where? What? Oh, uh, Detroit is a uh, handball city, USA. <laughs> because you've declared it as such? Yes. <laughs> Where would you guys host that event? We're looking at a few places, um, but we, we don't want to get locked, you know, locked down at, at this stage in the game. Um, obviously, the uh, the marquee place would be a TCF Center, which is where we are. we were supposed to slash maybe have national that, uh, and that is a, uh, a legendary facility here in downtown Detroit. But of course we have, uh, some, some other facilities we're looking at that'll, that'll also do the trick. We all, we, we, 
you know, we want to have that wow factor for, for people playing in the final four. We really want to cement this as a legitimate um, tournament. I remember when I was in Denmark going to the final four in uh, Herning in the, I think it's called the box. And uh, that was, that was spectacular. So we're, we're trying to bring a little bit of, a little bit of that excitement uh, here to the good old US of A. Well, are you, are you trying to one up our actual national championship tournament? Uh, we're trying to supplement and complement um, <laughs> our national championship, and we're 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 setting the standard. Yeah. Well, that's that sounds that sounds great. It, it all it all sounds great. Um, we, you know what? Right now, I want to take a little bit of a tangent and uh, talk about the national championship tournament since you brought it up. Oh gosh. <laughs> Is it still a possibility it might go on? I mean, you know, anything is possible. Uh, I, I I don't like to say no. Um, I also don't like to say yes when, I, when I'm not certain about anything. But, I mean, just given the circumstance right now, we want to make sure that, that people are safe. And a little bit of background, too, uh, for, for those listening. Um, the national championship for the U.S. was supposed to be in Detroit in May. Uh, but obviously, uh, that that's not going to happen as we planned it. Um, but we're, we're working on finding solutions and, um, Barry and everyone at USA team handball has been very supportive and very, um, dynamic given just what's going on. Cause there's been a lot of plans, not just with nationals, but sort of in the more meta bigger handball world that have been put on ice for, for the time being. Um, but yeah, we, we want to make sure people are safe and, um, people are healthy before we, before we make plans to, to go ahead. Has there been any talk of like, well, we can't do it in May, but well, we could do it in June, we could do it in July, heck, we could do it, we could do it in August. Uh, has there been any talk about uh, uh, rescheduling it for some time in the summer? Yeah, you know, there's, I mean, people talk, um, but the the sort of uh, last year I I planned to to host a tournament in August at the the same venue. Um, so I had a weekend in, in August blocked off. In fact, it was supposed to be the last weekend of the Olympics. So it was going to be this big thing where, uh, you know, kind of ride the wave of the Olympic, uh, fever into this, this cool handball tournament. But, um, you know, things are just very uncertain right now, John. Um, we're, we're, we're playing it, playing it by ear, just seeing how things shake out, especially, I mean, Detroit's hit pretty hard with the coronavirus and, um, you know, we want to be sensitive to that as well as there's just a lot of other variables uh, nationwide and internationally that we have to, to take into account. Yeah, I guess I guess what I was getting up to is you you've you could have a situation where, you know, a lot of leagues have canceled and they haven't. There might not be a whole lot going on. Maybe things will be a bit safer. Handball could actually offer live sports in the United States. Uh, be one of the first events maybe to come out of uh, um, out of the pandemic as you know one of the first events that can be done safely perhaps John between you me and all your listeners uh, I think that would be a dream scenario um, just being the only show in town I think would be yeah. hey Joey I can't hear you your brother's Xbox no. is interfering. 
So you're going to have to start over from where you said uh, uh, between you and me. Oh, okay, good. That that wasn't important anyway. Uh, now, can you hear me now, though? I can hear you good now. Beautiful. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, so between you, me, and all your listeners, um, that would be a dream scenario uh, to have handball be the only show in town um, in the, uh, the world of sports. Um, but, of course, we got to just be sensitive to the, the situation that's going on and smart in regards to the, the health and safety of everyone involved. Um, and, I mean, look at what the Olympic Channel did for coverage of the sport over the past two weeks. Um, it, it could be a, a it could be a, a big, big, strong catalyst for uh, for our sport. But we want to do it smart and we want to do it safe. Yeah. Take 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 uh Take some lemons and make some lemonade. Sounds great to me. Yes. Amen. Um, yeah, I, I could even see doing it with uh, with a smaller number of teams. Uh, you know, maybe just with the uh, with the elite. Um, you could you could showcase it, make it even uh, a little bit more uh, TV friendly, if you will. Well, let me. You know, let's think out loud here, John. Do you think it would be, I mean, even if USA Team Handball, you know, if it wasn't safe to have the, the big production that we were we were going to have, do you think it would be cool to have a smaller tournament at some point in the, the late summer slash uh, fall? Sure. Why, why not? And, and, and let's be let's be honest and realistic. Uh, uh, even with a phenomenal marketing job, which I, I'm sure you're planning to do. Um, it can be a struggle to to get a huge crowd. Um, it would seem to me that you could find a venue that that looks good and uh, you know put a good product on the court. I think that 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 could be very doable. What teams would be participating in that good product? Well, logically, I guess it would be um, the two New York teams in San Francisco. And uh, I think you could have a, a debate as to who the fourth team would be. And then if you expanded it to eight, it would just basically be the eight that qualified for uh, for the elite uh, tournament. Fair enough. Fair enough. So you'd say the New York first team and New York second team, Cal <laughs> Heat and Detroit, is what you're saying? No, I would, even though Nyack may not really be a, a – Hundred percent true New York team. I, I would I would I would also probably give them a uh, a bid based on past performance. Fair enough. Yeah, and then I guess you have a really tough debate on whether to include Milwaukee United or Detroit for that fourth, you know, elite spot. Um, and that's you know that's it's a toss up, honestly. I mean, a match between those two teams would be the money match. That would get yeah. that would get butts and seats. Yep, that's right. <laughs> well, it, it's 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 an interesting possibility. Um, I, I would guess it's just possibility because so much is just unknown right now. Yeah, and I didn't mention too the the facility we were thinking about is currently being used as a uh, COVID nineteen hospital. So that that's also uh, another factor to be weighed in the equation. Yeah. And but but like like we were just saying, who knows what exactly the the situation will be in August? Um, you know that was a good tangent, and uh, I, it was something that I was uh, 
wondering about, and uh, we'll just, I guess, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, but let's let's get back on track to to talk a little bit uh, about your Great Lakes Cup, and then some of the issues that would have to be resolved, and and let's also uh, talk about it from the context of some of the issues I think that have have been a problem with how the U.S. does its competition for years. Um, and we'll start out just by talking about the weekend tournament and the way that we typically do comp- competition with a bunch of teams showing up in one location and playing, oh, usually four to six games over two to three days. Um, Ryan, you played a season in Austria now. How would you compare that experience to how competition is done in the U.S. right now? Um, I would say it's night and day. In Austria, you compete maybe um, two or three times a week. Um, you know, usually your Tuesday night and your Saturday morning or your Sunday afternoon games. Um, and you're not, you know, piling all these games into a 48-hour period just because you have all the teams in the same area for once. Um you're traveling shorter distances, obviously, within Europe, so you're not really having these expansive trips where maybe you could take some of your team, but you can't take all of it, so you're really not at full strength um, for these American, you know, weekend tournaments. Um, the are just so much higher because you have fresh legs, you have fresh arms, and you're not trying to just play as many games as you can before they turn off the gym lights. And so, yeah, I mean, the differences are just so drastic, and the competition level is just so much higher in Europe, you know, for a variety of reasons, but a lot of a lot of reasons surrounding the, the format of the competition. What are your thoughts, Joey? I think the biggest obstacle to growing the sport in the U.S. is the, the current format of competition um, that we're, we're – we, uh, participate in. I mean, there's obviously benefits just from a practical standpoint of, you know, it's easier like to, to play Chicago uh, and San Francisco, like when you're playing them the same weekend and everyone's already there. Um, but as far as recruiting new players, and I'm sure Ryan and pretty much anyone who started a club can attest to this, how it, it's such a hard sell to get an adult to First, show up to a handball practice. Second, like really to take it seriously. And then third, have them commit hundreds of dollars and an entire weekend of their life to go compete in a sport halfway across the country that they've never played, let alone seen before. And I mean, out of that, you get some very, very committed and and, um, just very passionate individuals, which is great. But in the meantime, you lose about 70% of the people who would otherwise play the sport casually and then develop a passion over time. Um, and so that is uh, one of, I think, the, the biggest problems with the, the current format. And on top of the fact that, you know, you're uh, as an athlete and especially as an aging athlete, which I'm, I'm starting to, to learn, um, you, you can't perform at peak uh, levels for, for an entire weekend when you're playing six to ten games. Um, and I'm by no means even close to an elite athlete. But Plus you're a goalie. Well, I, I, I mean, maybe I'm just out of shape. I don't know. Like, I, yeah, especially coming from a goalie. I mean, I, I played my best game, like, the first game on Friday when it matters the least. And then, I mean, by Sunday morning, I'm just a shell of a man. So, 
And I might be the only guy who's experienced that. Maybe maybe that's just a Joe Williams problem, but that's just an additional little uh, critique I have of uh, the weekend warrior format. Well, all I can say is from my experience back in the day, once I got into my early 30s, that Sunday morning wake up was that was not much fun, and uh, your body just does not recover the same way it uh, it does in your 20s. Amen, amen to that. Yeah. But so, and so, if you're familiar with American handball at all, you know that people are recovering not only from the games but the activities after the games as well. So you have to factor <laughs> that into the whole recovery time. Yes. Um. So. I would say all three of us are are in agreement on this. Um, and while I like the the format that you're talking about, or uh, you know, for the Great Lakes uh, Cup, or, or uh, a, a, t- a, a typical league that would be played like it's uh, like like you experienced in Austria, like I experienced in France. Maybe we want that, but I, I I'm not sure so sure how we make that happen. How do we uh, how do we wean ourselves off of the weekend format and go to another format? I think it comes down to the density of teams, and you need just need more teams. Basically, you need more clubs. The travel distance between each of these teams has to be lessened. And the resources being brought in by, you know, private companies, by our federation has to be greater in order to accommodate these um, deferred competition formats. And there's really no um, one way to do that. But, um, you know, I think we have to capitalize on the Olympics, which are being held in 2021, really getting the message out that handball is great. You can create a handball team in your city. Um, and that there's so many, you know, um, great teams and great players and great people that you're going to meet if you do start this club. And so that's, those are my two big um, issues that we need to tackle. Joey. Yeah. I mean, I think just um, kind of a, a goofy answer, but just trial and error, like the, the great lakes champions or challenge cup. Sorry. that sorry. I haven't had my coffee this morning, the GLCC, um, you know, it could end up being the, the catalyst that could end up being the model to use, or, you know, it might not work out a a year or two from now, but we'll learn a whole heck of a lot about um, how how to fine tune and how to make this more of a a sport that, that we envision that that has a regular season that has, you know, one or two matches a week that, that people actually want to go watch. Um, So I think trial and error um, and just, just being willing to to put your nose to the grindstone and, and actually give it a shot. Um, thankfully, thankfully we have, um, you know, great people in this community like you, John, and, um, like Ryan and, and everyone in the Midwest, well, I guess everyone in the, the nation really, but, uh, especially in the Midwest, we have a very tight knit, um, uh, I guess community between the, the clubs, whether it's JD in uh, Ohio or, or Andrew in Pennsylvania or, um, Josh over in uh, Minnesota. And of course, all the great people from Chicago, we, we've got a good network going and we're willing to to uh, sacrifice on our end, like Pittsburgh would be willing to come to Detroit um, and we're willing to reciprocate. It's just a good overall community of people. Um, so between trying and failing and uh, having a supportive network, I think uh, it's only a matter of time before we, we 
crack the code and find a really works for the U.S. Yeah. Well, I've thought about this a little bit. I have a couple ideas I want to throw out there and uh, get your guys' thoughts on them. Um, for instance, uh, one of the things that I see particularly with our clubs in the, uh, the different uh, cities is uh, one of the things that could be done would be to have some carrots and sticks. I prefer carrots, but sometimes you need sticks uh, to get clubs to, uh, to split up instead of having, uh, I'll, just, I'll just take Chicago, for instance, instead of having one club in Chicago, what if that club was to split up into two, three, even four clubs? Um, I know it's easy to say that as opposed to just do that. Um, but one of the uh, things that could be done would be to rethink uh, rosters in the U.S. And a lot of foreign nations, particularly in basketball, have limits on the number of non-U.S. citizens with their club teams. If you were to uh, make that a requirement, that would force some teams that are heavily uh, with a lot of expats on the roster, that would force them to split and would force them to acquire USA players to fill out a roster. What do you think of that possibility? Joe, you want to tackle that one first? I like your brain, John. You've got, you've got good ideas. That's actually a, that's a pretty uh, neat idea. Um, and I think that addresses probably one of the, the bigger grand scheme of things problems in handball, which is, like I just mentioned, we have a great community, but that community tends to be pretty insular. And, and we, we tend to, you know, welcome people in who are interested in learning about the sport, but we, we really struggle with going out and uh, taking the initiative. So I think that could be a good way to address that problem. But on the flip side, uh, just just from knowing the the clubs in the U.S., I think that would be a tough sell to, to just outright split up like a Chicago or like a Cal Heat. But if they did it in a way that was structured and they still sort of maintained that community, uh, that would be actually very uh, – I think that would be a great idea, honestly. So, so, so one aspect, and, and I'll let you jump in, Ryan, after this. So the – the USA citizen requirement, that would be kind of a stick. <laughs> but maybe there's some carrots that could be brought in with that um, in terms of the resources to make that split happen. You know, some financial uh, incentives uh, to develop that other club, you know, providing the equipment, the goals and the uh, – you know, the balls and, and, and even uniforms to some level to make that happen. Um, there's, there ought to be some carrots that, like, make people think, hey, this is a good deal. Um, I think intuitively I think some of these teams would know it's a good deal. If you had a cross-town rival uh, to play mm -hmm. on a regular basis, and you also would have less distance to travel for your practices because I don't know where everybody lives in Chicago, but I bet you there's some folks that uh, travel quite a ways to get to wherever they practice. <clears throat> 
Yeah, I think I think the carrot is definitely the way to go when you're creating new teams. I think uh, the stick approach that you mentioned um, would somewhat punish teams for recruiting, whether, you know, that player is from another country, whether they're, um, you know, born here in America. I don't really see that being a viable option. Um, I think, you know, foreign born players that are playing American handball are the heart and soul of the sport in our country. They've They've helped develop this sport. They've helped develop athletes like myself and like Joey. Um, and so I, I think splitting up teams that have a um, large amount of those types of players, uh, I, I don't necessarily agree with that, but that's okay. Um, as far as the carrot approaches go, though, um, I think having things like, um, you know, redu- or reduced or waived uh, membership for your team membership fees for creating youth teams or junior teams, um, having splits, um, you know, A teams, B teams, so that you have defined, you know, boundaries where one team ends and where another team starts is, is sufficient for this type of discussion. Um, but yeah, I, I don't necessarily agree with the stick approach. And just to clarify, I'm, I'm with Ryan on this. I prefer incentives as opposed to, to disincentives. So just the, the idea of splitting clubs up, but on their own, out of their own, you know, they make the decision to split up because it's best for, for them and for the sport, not as opposed to like a rule coming down from, um, the, you know, the higher ups that, um, you know, they have to split up. I, I, I think incentives work better than disincentives. And I think, uh, being more entrepreneurial and making things more of a, a business mindset, I think also kind of helps to, to come up with some creative solutions. I, I see that general idea, John, that you just said uh, of splitting up clubs and, and having more clubs within the city as a solution. Yeah. Well, who doesn't prefer carrots to sticks? I mean, <laughs> right. I, that, that's, that's kind of a given. Um, and where it can just be done with carrots, that's that's great. But it's something to consider. And you know, part of the, part of the part of the other stick approach would be uh, the sanctioning of tournaments and the support that comes with that. If you continue to uh, sanction weekend tournaments and provide uh, support for officiating, I'm not sure exactly what exactly uh, comes with it being an official sanctioned tournament. Um, but that's one of the motivating factors, I think, as well, um, that might have to be rethought. If you're going to have resources be given to – there's there's limited resources. If you decide to give the resources to a group of clubs setting up a league as opposed to a club – hosting a weekend tournament, that's that's a combination of carrots and sticks. You're giving a carrot to the people that are doing the uh, competition format that you want, and you're withholding that carrot from people doing the competition format that you're less excited about. Uh, what do you think of that uh, possibility? I 100% agree with that. I think we should, in America, if we are giving out bids to the elite division, I think they should be given to the leagues rather than um, the teams that have the resources and the roster size to compete uh, in these tournaments across the nation. Um, I think if we lessened 
the bids given um, through the wild card system and increase the bids given through the leagues. I think that would obviously incentivize people to create more leagues. Um, and there's just there's expanses of uh, regions within this country that have the density of teams to create leagues. They just don't have the resources. They don't have the know-how. Um, they don't have the support from our national federation to do so yet. I'm going to take a little hot take here. I, I mean, America is like the land of opportunity, right? There's 300 million people, 300-some million people. I, I don't think – I think there's – creative ways beyond the current pale of um, the handball world in order to create incentives for yourself, really, uh, as opposed to, to having, I mean, the, the current, um, you know, handball community, there, there's ways to go beyond that and incentivize, you know, growth within your club. And that's one thing I think the current leadership in USA Team Handball is actually doing a, a fantastic job at. One of the many things I think they're doing a great job at uh, and that is finding creative ways to, to uh, incentivize people to be involved in the sport. And I, I didn't really get a good thorough look at this, but I saw something about like a coupon program. And then I saw something about um, like something through DeVry University. Um, and so those are both very unique ways to, to you know, hang, hang a carrot in front of somebody's face to, to be more involved in the sport. Um, and I, I think there's just, so many entrepreneurial opportunities uh, within the sport, whether it's I mean, even beyond leagues, uh, just having camps, even if it's, you know, 10 bucks a kid, uh, if you can get 10 kids to, to do a little summer camp, there's so many people in the U S who can, who could run a summer camp uh, and make it valuable to, to people. Uh, that, that's another way to just get the ball rolling and get uh, both a financial and, you know, altruistic incentive to, to grow the sport. So I think, um, as far as incentivizing people to grow the sport, you gotta think creatively, think outside of the box. Well, I got, I got nothing against uh, entrepreneurial activity. Um, you know, the the challenges when you when you're thinking entrepreneurially is, you know, is it financially viable? Is it something that? Um, that can go beyond just an altruistic sort of thing. And I think that's that's still a real challenge for a sport like ours that's developing. Absolutely. But also I, I think about sports like volleyball where you don't professionally, I mean, I don't watch professional volleyball. I don't know if that exists in the United States, but there's bit, hundreds of businesses within just Michigan alone that, that make a good living just from developing youth volleyball players when, you know, there's the NCAA and maybe the Olympics and maybe professionally in Europe. Yet these people are able to have very comfortable livings and, and very successful businesses just from training volleyball players. Well, it's, and, you know, my daughter uh, uh, played with a club this past year. And I was, I was, uh, as I delved into it and explored it, uh, you know that 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 all exists. Ninety-five percent of it exists because it's a sport within the school, and then it's a within our high schools, and then it's a sport within our colleges. I would say, without that top-level structure, I would say that the the level of club support that they have, for instance, in the girls' programs here in Colorado would probably be very similar to what it is for the boys' programs. 
which they do have, but is probably one twentieth in terms of size. That's fair, but let's to kind of report to that lacrosse in the past ten years. Many high schools, it wasn't even a, a club sport, and now, I mean, even back ten years ago, I was playing travel lacrosse and shelling out. Well, my parents were shelling out a lot of money for me to be able to to be trained and compete in these tournaments. And I mean, since then, it's just been, you know, gangbusters in, in the sport of lacrosse, and and that's come come along in a very short time, and without necessarily the 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 support of the the school. So, what say you, John? Um, I would say that that's you can get a little bit of a chicken or the egg discussion there, um, and I don't know how much of it was a club started in a in an area like Colorado, and then the schools picked up on it um, because lacrosse didn't exist in Colorado. I'm pretty sure. Um, and now it's a hot years ago. I, yes, no. I mean, it's 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 not like it is in the Northeast, but it certainly it certainly has grown. But again, I think I think part of that is, you know, you have that future that people can see in terms of the of the college scholarship. Even if they're not good enough to get that college scholarship, they see it as an opportunity to play in college, um, and that's that's why I'm supportive uh, big time of the push to to grow our collegiate handball game because I see what uh, lacrosse has done and I see what rugby has done and what they've done in terms of starting the biggest growth came in the colleges first and then it trickled down there was a little bit of trickle up but I think most of it trickled down from the college infrastructure that existed interesting do you think, and this is just complete speculation, but the the opportunity to uh, travel and to play a prof- have a professional sports career in Europe, or or I mean maybe in the U.S. Who who knows? But do you think that could be a big enough impetus for for a young athlete to say, you know what, like I could a be in the Olympics in 2028, or b at least know get to see the world and play a sport and maybe make a little bit of money at the same time do you see that as uh, an effective alternative to the the, oh i can play handball in college i i think it's it's a an eventual you know carrot incentive whatever if you will but Mm -hmm. i think we're quite a ways away from that yet i just look at uh you know rugby who's now uh into their third season i think that had to be canceled because of the coronavirus but i just look at the the number of in the number of people playing in the way that sport has grown it used to be just strictly a college sport um and then it started trickling down to the high school and the youth and then some americans were, were got good enough to go play professionally in europe um I, I just think it takes a while to get that sort of a groundswell to the point where you can have a a professional league, um, but it, it's certainly an incentive for some of those college players now. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, we we got off on a little bit of a tangent there, but that's all right. That's a that's a good discussion. Um, 
where did where did we go? We talked a, uh, talked a little bit about the sanctioning, um, which Ryan was a little bit more in favor of, and then we got into the little bit of the entrepreneurial. You know, hey, make make something of your own. You know, don't don't look for a USA Team handball to 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 hold your hand and help help your way through it. You know, make make something out of it uh, by yourself. <laughs> Which, the American dream. Pull yourself up from your bootstrap. I got I got a couple other logistical things. What do you guys think about the roster control, if you will, and eligibility uh, with USA clubs right now? Um, and, and, I, and in particular, you know, the teams that show up at nationals and the teams that play during the year. Yeah, I I. I was at nationals last year and I get the little cynical, uh, you know, like, well, this guy doesn't even live here. (laughs) He played with one, one tournament. Now he's showing up at nationals. What what say you Ryan on the, on the, uh, the flexible rosters that we sometimes have with our clubs. I know there's rules, but it just doesn't seem adequate sometimes. So, yeah, there, there is a lot of the mercenary style roster additions where, you know, maybe you have a, a buddy that can fly in for the weekend and you you want to throw him on the roster because he can score some goals for you. And I think with amateur sports, there is going to be a fair amount of that, regardless of what sport you're in. That's not unique to handball. I think any amateur sports going to have, um, you know, players leave the, leave the team during the season, players join the team. And so you definitely don't want to restrict it too much because we are not getting paid for this. And um, you do have to have, you know, flexible roster rules. Uh, with that being said, I think we do need to have some more control and tighten down on the roster movement a little bit. Um, I myself have recruited players, you know, to play for teams that I've created in the past. And then the next weekend they're off back to their old team or playing for another one. So um, I think we've all been guilty of that at some point uh, within our tournament, within the Great Lakes Challenge Cup we will only allow players to play for one team. So if, you know, um, so we basically what we want to outlaw is, you know, my team got eliminated in the first round. And so I'm going to go jump on another team. We don't want that to happen. We want the the best team to win, not just um, best players to win. So that's kind of what we're looking uh, to create. And hopefully it's adopted by other uh, leagues and uh, throughout the country as well. Joey, I'm sure you've been a rent-a-goalie a few times. What's your feelings about the uh, roster flexibility? Uh, you know, there's only a handful of players in a position within, you know, five states of a, of a club or of a, a match. It's tough not to, to get that Facebook message asking you to, uh, to come down to a certain city uh, for a weekend, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm completely with Ryan. Like, we want to make this credible and, um, again, as professional as possible. And so it, it's one thing to have some players float onto your team one weekend and then you just don't see them again. But it's another thing to have, you know, um, Ryan play for Milwaukee one weekend and then uh, Pittsburgh, you know, the next weekend and, and the next round. We don't we don't want that. Um, so, yeah, we, we want to keep it professional at the same time. Like Ryan said, we're amateurs. This is a sport that like 
99% of the population has never heard of. So any warm body and two kneecaps walking onto the court is, is really a victory. Um, but yeah, we, we're trying to strike that balance. Um, yeah, it's, it's something that, uh, handball in the U S has struggled with forever <laughs> and, and, and actually have a little bit tighter controls than they used to in the past. Um, not that it's perfect. Um, but, uh, it, it's always been a problem. I think it will be a problem until we, we have more players and more teams that aren't, uh, you know, struggling to feel the roster sometime. Uh, another issue that comes up and, and would come up with your guys' effort is um, scheduling conflicts and maybe having a master schedule that clubs and players and even even also having to factor in uh, uh, national team activity. How, how do you guys think we can do a better job of working through scheduling issues? So I actually um, have been working with the Midwest Team Handball League and uh, Patrick Halibert uh, from Chicago Inner has done an amazing job of, you know, making scheduling very, very easy and hassle-free. Um, he has created a master schedule for all of the Midwest teams, uh, like you mentioned. And so we know which weekends are available, which ones are not. And so that makes scheduling a lot easier. Um, and so I think adopting something like that for our a tournament would be, you know, very beneficial as well. Um, and I think creating a master schedule throughout the entire country would be beneficial, not only to know when uh, teams are playing, to, but to know when teams are not playing. So if you have, if you have two teams uh, within the same proximity of each other and you have a free weekend, why not, you know, go play a couple friendly games, play a couple competitive games. Um, and you're just creating, you're just increasing the amount of games that you potentially play. Yeah, and, it, and I was just about ready to say the th same thing regarding a, a, a U.S. master schedule, one that could be looked at for the whole year. And it, it kind of gets back a little bit to that weekend tourney concept. You know, if you're going to have a league schedule, you, you either need to factor in the weekend tournaments or uh, co-opt the weekend tournaments for your league because there's only mm -hmm. so many major trips that uh, any one club can take in a year. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's a, that's a fair point. Um, this is the scheduling of this is going to be certainly a uh, learning experience for us. And um, we don't expect to have a perfect first season. Um, we don't pretend we're not implying that we will, um, but you know, we're going to learn as we go. Um, and we want, but we do want to um, still have standalone trips as much as we can um, to increase the competitive levels for this challenge. Okay. Joey, any thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, there's just a, a a difference between us traveling to, uh, let's say, like you know, San Francisco for a weekend. Um, and then not traveling for another two months. Then there is us traveling to Columbus one weekend and then going to Chicago maybe two weeks later. I, I would personally prefer the latter universe because if, if we're going to Columbus and then, you know, Columbus is coming to us, that's an opportunity for people in sort of the, the general population to have a track on, 
on the club and to, to actually become personally, emotionally invested in, in the team and in the sport. Um, and so I think that that's generally what we're, we're trying to accomplish here with, with having these, these one-off uh, weekend tournaments so that, I mean, even if it's one or two guys uh, that just come off, the, maybe not come off the street, but find us on Facebook and decide, hey, I just want to go watch. Um, that's, that's a huge victory for the sport. Yeah, and, you know, drawing on that, we're not restricting uh, teams that travel for the purposes of the Great Lakes Challenge Cup to not play any other games while they're in the city that they're traveling to to play the team that they're competing against. You know, mm-hmm. let's say Detroit is traveling down to Columbus to play Ohio State, and they play their game on uh, Saturday nights against Ohio State, and then maybe Sunday morning they play against Columbus Armada or the Ohio State second team. So, you know, these trips, uh, the purpose – you know, is first and foremost the Great Lakes Challenge Cup. There are other opportunities for other competition, you know, while they're, while these are happening. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, well, I think we've covered most of uh, what I wanted to talk about. I do have one last question because I, I look at both you guys as super motivated, hardworking, handball-loving people, and uh, – I know you're both heavily invested in the clubs that you've started and, and having been involved with uh, starting clubs myself. And, and Joey, I, I wrote an article about about this a little bit with uh, Detroit when you mm-hmm. guys uh, got started. And I, I call this the hit by a bus issue because both you guys are so heavily invested where where would you assess Detroit right now uh, if you got hit by a bus tomorrow? Would the club survive? You know, John, it's I, I love that analogy. I think that's where I, I first started using this phrase. But I've been telling people it's going to take me getting hit by a bus for this thing not to not to go to the moon. I mean, me and Ryan, we're, we're both in this for the long haul. If it takes 10, 20, 30, I'm ready to spend the rest of my life working on growing this. So it will literally take me getting hit by a bus or um, falling off a cliff for, for handball not to become a, a growing or, sport. I know I'm not the only one. Or, or, getting, or getting married. <laughs> yeah, hey, don't worry about that. I'm uh, I'm married to the game right now. It's my wife, my baby, and um, everything else. Uh, yeah, everything that's going on. But um, to answer your question, surprisingly, we have put together like a very – very passionate core group here in Detroit. And there's, uh, I'll name one guy, uh, Adrian. We actually did a video about him. If you check out our YouTube page, uh, you can learn a little bit more about Adrian Bender, but he's a, a gentleman from France who moved to Detroit about 15 years ago and has been trying to start something, trying to play some handball for, I mean, the past 15 years and, and nothing's happened. But um, from the first practice to now, he has just been absolutely head over heels, head over heels involved and just, and that enthusiasm has been infectious. So we have a good core group of about 15 to 20 guys, believe it or not, who are staying involved, emailing each other. Um, it's just very, they're, they're in, in this to win this. Uh, and on top of that, we have other individuals who, who are American and who have approached me in the past about starting a club in Detroit, but I was going to school a few hours away from Detroit. So I couldn't really help them, but now we, we got the club going and they're, they're all in baby. So I think if I, got run over, uh, this thing would still keep on going. It would even grow. 
I, I truly believe that, but John, it will literally take uh, a bus to, to keep me from, from doing that. <laughs> All right. That's great. Uh, what about you, Ryan? Um, to comment on that, so I think it's going to take more than a bus to take down Joey as well. I've seen him take a lot of hits, so it's it's going to take more than that. I don't know what it is, but um, what we actually Milwaukee um, has actually kind of been through this exercise. When I left for Europe and went to Austria. Um, I tried to divide the roles amongst current uh, team members, and so I was gone for a season. And we saw what that was like. And, um, it wasn't business as usual, but you know we function at a very high level still. Uh, you know, people th- people within the club uh, took on different responsibilities and took on more responsibilities. And then, um, you know, the great uh, culture throughout the Midwest really stepped up and helped Milwaukee kind of in this transition a year because they, we weren't sure how long I was going to be gone for. Um, and then when I returned, I kind of just picked things up um, where I left off, and um, we've been growing ever since. Awesome. That's, that's what I like to hear because I, I can tell you, I tried to run a club from France, and it <laughs> I couldn't do it. But you know, some people stepped up, and uh, mm-hmm. and it, it uh, you know it's been a, a well-established club ever since. And uh, you just basically have to get to that critical critical mass uh, where uh, you know somebody can uh, take the reins, and you can you can split the responsibilities. Um, and uh, I, for one, I appreciate both your guys' efforts to to take on the challenge of starting a new club because I don't have to tell you guys what, what an incredible amount of work it is. It's a labor of love. It has to be. It really is. It really is. <laughs> it has to be. Until you get that entrepreneurial stuff going, you know, where it's, a, uh, you know, a founding member of the MLH, Major League Handball in the United States. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, it's been great talking to you. I wish you the best of luck with uh, the Great Lakes Challenge Cup. And uh, uh, who knows? Maybe we'll be heading out to the the first big sporting event in the U.S. You know, live from Joe Lewis Arena, uh, <laughs> U.S. National Championships. What do you think, Joey? Well, the Joe Lewis Arena is currently a pile of rubble right now, so that might not be the best look for uh, either the city of Detroit nor uh, the sport of handball. But, yes, it'll be uh, the Super Bowl of team handball. I've been calling the national championship the Woodstock of handball, um, so I'm not sure what kind of connotations come with that. But it'll be, a, it'll be a true celebration of the sport and all the great people that make this sport great. And, John, I just want to say, too, thank you for all that you do. Uh, you You sacrifice so much for the sport. Your passion is – is really it's truly infectious and even though you know you have some hot takes sometimes that i don't necessarily agree with um i appreciate you and i appreciate the work that you do well i appreciate that and of course you're entitled to your opinions even if they are wrong (laughs) (laughs) all right for uh for ryan peterson and joey williams you've been listening to the team handball news podcast thanks for listening uh subscribe check out the archive And we'll catch you next time.